Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's a Thursday. We're here live at Silver Sevens getting ready for the Mountain West Conference Tournament night session of the quarterfinals. UNLV is taking on the number two seed, Utah State. Curtis Terry doing double duty with us today. Earlier we talked to uh, him and his brother Jason Terry. Curtis is back now for a preview of this game against Utah State. And, and the Rebels have to be feeling pretty good after that big victory yesterday against Air Force. Easy victory. Yeah, I think the Rebels had a great performance last night in the game. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I should say, they came out and defensively, I think that was the biggest thing. And, and me and John talked about on the pregame, we talked about during the broadcast, in terms of being able to guard Air Force. The more times you see them, the more times you play against them, the better off you are, the more equipped you are to handle them because guys are just used to the speed in which they cut, um, the determination in which they play with, uh, the defensive matchup zone that they play. Just the more familiarity you have with them, the better off you're going to be. And I've talked about it before in terms of my time playing against them. As I went through my career as freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior, by the time I was a senior, even though I was a starter, obviously me and Wink played almost every game, all game in the backcourt together. But we ran the scout team Air Force against, you know what I mean, the rest of the guys that were going to play because we just were so familiar with it. And it's almost better to prepare it by running that offense yourself because you just know what's coming up. You know if they dribble at you, they're going to backdoor, they spin a post, they're going to reject ball screens, they're going to chin action. It's all the same stuff that they're doing now as what they were doing then. Um, and with Coach Joe Scott, I mean, it's just his system, and they're just refining it. They don't quite have the players, but I think UNLV did a great job. I think Devin Tillis being in the starting lineup along with Bryce Hamilton gave them two guys um, that are natural kind of playmakers. You put Bryce in the middle of the zone. Uh, you put Devin Tillis in the middle of the zone, and they make plays. And you saw a time and again where Devin would get it. He would attract attention, and either Caleb Grill would cut or he would skip it to the top to David Jenkins for a jump shot. Um, and they just seemed more comfortable, more familiar. It also helps that they were able to go out and knock down 9 to 17 threes for 52%, being able to make threes loosen things up for you. Uh, but then they also did a much better job of guarding the three-point line against the Falcons because we know the Falcons came in that first game in early February and knocked down 15 to 32 from three. Um, and, that, and that was just a bad recipe for the Rebels that day. Yeah, Air Force made 24 threes in two games. And yesterday they were two of 18. So that's massive. And that's a that needs to be carried over to uh, today's game, this evening's game against Utah State. We'll get into the uh, Utah State side of the preview. Let's talk about offense. That may have been the most efficient offense, at least in terms of what Jenkins and Bryce did. 39 points on, you know, it wasn't 48 shots. Uh, Why did things work better on offense? You mentioned having guys in the middle of the zone. What else did you see in terms of ball movement? I think the biggest thing that I noticed was they were getting out in transition. Uh, And they didn't have to play any half-court offense. And so the guys were able to get stops. They were able to get rebounds. They dominated on the glass last night, 38-17, to which is huge. Um, and I think that set the tone. I mean, you have you have Bryce with seven rebounds, uh, and Bakke or Bryce with seven rebounds and Bakke with eight, Caleb with six. I mean, you dominate the glass, and then from that standpoint, the guys didn't slow roll it up the court. They were looking to throw the ball advanced up the court with the pass, and then they were allowing guys to attack. And I think that's when you know he's going to be at their best because they don't have a true natural floor uh, leader. Like Jason said, I mean, I mean, when you talk, talk about that standpoint, it's you want to be able to attack from the point. You want to be able to have someone lead the team. And they don't have that. And so anytime they can get out in transition, it's going to be better. But that's when they were able to get driving kicks. You're able to get Bryce Hamilton um, attacking in the basket in in space. You're able to get David Jenkins open catch-and-shoot threes. Even got Caleb Grill some catch-and-shoot threes, which they haven't done enough of. And I think that's from the standpoint, that's where you want to improve. You want to get better. Uh, But I think that was the biggest difference. They didn't let that defense get set up. And that's how they have to try to play again moving forward is attacking, not letting them get set, and trying to play fast and speed up the game. Because especially with Nemes Kieda sitting in the middle, it's not going to be easy pickings if you're trying to play half-court offense and trying to finish at the rim through the big guy. Well, let's start talking about Utah State and the big matchup against Utah State. And that's, as you mentioned, Keita. Uh, Mbake Jong is going to be the the guy covering him. I want to mention something before we get into the head-to-head matchup. Mbake is really interesting in defending – the uh, the high pick and roll, you know, when the big on the opposite team comes out, Mbake has turned into a master of getting steals mm-hmm. at the top of the key. I, I think yesterday he had two of them and then finished with dunks. That may have been like the ninth or tenth time he's done that, which is nuts for a six eleven dude to be picking off uh, passes, you know, twenty eight feet from the basket and then go all the way coast to coast and finish with dunks. It's it's kind of a scary element. For the other team, like the that you know, the real easy toss to the big man to start the play ain't that easy. No, not at all. And I think that's that's a big thing that the, you know he's been able to add to their defense. And you talk about this. I mean, it kind of started at Colorado State beginning of January when they came back from the pause. He was able to do that. And it's funny. I mean, he he did that, went down, and actually threw up after he dunked. It. He had to come out of the game. I don't know if he was just winded or was the altitude, uh, but he seems like he's been able to get one of those a game. And 
to me, that shows that he's just being more comfortable. Um, and he's also deceptively quicker and more athletic than people think because he's able to read that pass to jump that passing lane. And that's the biggest difference to where, just like San Diego State, they try to, to deny that ball reversal and don't let you get that. And he's able to jump that passing lane, get down in the break, um, and get that easy dunk. And that's energizing his team. I mean, it energized them again in that second game against Fresno State. They were able to come back and get that win. Um, and then it, he was able to do it again last night uh, in the, or yesterday afternoon. In the first half, and in the second half, he comes down and does, I mean, the rock, the, the baby, the double cr- clutch, reverse dunk. Oh, yeah. I mean, those, those are plays that get your teammates excited. Um, that even though there was no fans there, me and John were sitting in the suite, and I was like, whoa, I'm going crazy. Uh, but those are the things that can be a difference maker for a team, not just coming out and guarding that pick and roll. Uh, but then if you can kind of deny that and play with it, it makes them a little more cautious of we're not going to throw that pass. It slows down their, their, their rhythm in terms of their ball reversals. Um, and it's so big with, with Utah State, especially because they try to get Kate on the first side, strong side uh, post up. If they can't, they try to reverse and try to get him to roll the lane. So anytime you can blow that up, especially a ball reversal against Utah State, it's going to be impactful because we know not having Sam Merrill, their offense is highly predicated on trying to get the ball inside of Nemus Kiatif so he can be effective and if he can't then he tries to kick it out so if you can then stop that initial entry post uh, post pass or stop the reversal you're going to be in a much better spot defensively so let's talk about Kata. uh we go back about a month ago starting with boise um, in the boise series mayish Keita averaged 31 points per game you go back a couple of games before that and he was not that great against the rebels he finished with 21 points in two games uh he was what nine of 25 from the floor and the most impressive thing is the rebels did not double a whole lot so can the Rebels do that again using Jong one-on-one against Kata? Yes, I think you're going to have to. I mean, that's that's going to be the recipe because we know in the first game, they I mean, they did a great job on Kata. He was, they held him for three for nine. He played 33 minutes. He had 11 rebounds, only eight points, um, three turnovers. I mean, that's a good stat line you want to hold them to because if he gets going, he showed it at Boise State. I mean, he went up to Boise State, put 34 on the board. They still lost, but he carried that team almost to the finish line. Um, and the big thing is if you can allow him to try to force the action but still be able to guard him one-on-one and not help, then you don't have to help off the shooters because if you allow them to, to kick it out to Justin Bean, to Brock Miller, um, I, I mean, and then we talk about uh, Raleigh Worcester. I mean, guys that are out there that are capable to, to knock down these shots, if you allow them to step in and knock down shots, you're going to be in trouble because the first game when UNLV was able to beat Utah State, they went 5 of 22 from three. In that second game, though, I mean, Utah State then goes 10 of 19. Big difference, and that opens things up because if you knock down those shots, then you can't hug inside so much, then you're able to dump it down to Keita, and they can get the best of both worlds. Uh, but they're going to have to do a great job. Obviously, Mbake is up to the challenge. He showed it in the first game against him, but they've got to make sure they play good, strong team defense and not just rely on him and everybody else fall asleep on the perimeter because, again, we've seen that if Bryce Hamilton falls asleep on the perimeter or if David Jenkins does, then that's when you get these breakdowns defensively, and UNLV has to play defense. They've got to slow this Utah State offense because, especially as of late, they're starting to come on strong. There's so many little things in these basketball games that, you know, if you're watching, you can pick up on that are key factors. And Curtis Terry's with us as we get ready for UNLV, trying to pull the upset on Utah State, the two-seed in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I'll give credit to Adam Candy, who's one of the company members and uh, one of my co-hosts. You know, he was mentioning yesterday, the other thing with Kata that was uh, great defensively from the Rebels is he was not allowed to catch the ball six feet from the basket. Generally, when he mm-hmm. caught it, it was 10 to 12 feet. What do you do as a big man defender to force that? Because uh, I, I assume Kata could probably back down and muscle to get to six feet, but Jong never let that happen. Yeah, and that's credit to, to Mbake and what he did defensively. And I've always talked about on the broadcast, you got to do your work early. I mean, and I liken it to schools, like kids. If you get a project, a homework assignment, and it's due in two weeks, you better start it that day you get it. I mean, do it early to get it out of the way, because if you wait to the last minute, they're going to pin you, and you're probably not going to turn that assignment in. Same thing in basketball. And Mbake does a good job of trying to meet the big man at the top of the key, body him up, and giving results there as opposed to trying to meet him in the paint because if he's in the paint he's too big two steps backwards he's going to back you down underneath the basket and Bakke does a good job of doing his work early meeting the big guy in transition not letting him get rim runs he also does a good job of trying to fight around in the post and with Keita you got a three-quarter front or you got a completely full front but then in that case if you're going to do that and sell out you've got to have the confidence in your teammates on the backside, which at times UNLV lacks having that weak side rim protection to make sure they're getting over so that way if they do throw a lob you can go wall up and jam him up from that standpoint uh, but you, you've got to make sure that they're doing those small things is important, especially against Kata because he's so damn big. If you allow him to back down and catch, he's going to put the ball in the basket and just drop it in from that standpoint. Other key matchup in this is Bryce Hamilton against Marco Anthony. Uh, Bryce Hamilton, remember, in the first two games of the series, was not healthy, and especially in game two with one-day rest. Man, 
he was beaten down. But Anthony's a big, strong kid. He's a little bigger height-wise than Bryce at 6'5". He's heavier, and he really locked up uh, you know, a 60% or 70% Bryce. Bryce has got to be a lot better on offense. He was only 5 of 28 in that first series. Yeah, but Bryce is going to have to not, not take it personal. I mean, Marco Anthony's a great defensive player. Obviously, he comes from Virginia. I mean, what, and what they do out there in terms of defensive ability on the, on the wing and guarding the ball. Uh, but Bryce was able to, to kind of have his way in that first game against him to some degree. Uh, he was able to go out and put up 14 points, eight assists, seven, re, uh, seven turnovers was the problem. You can't force the action. You've got to make sure that you're solid, but he can't make it personal. If he does, I don't think he's going to win that matchup, and you know he's not going to be successful because he's got to be able to share the ball and get the rest of his teammates involved. Uh, but Marco Anthony has the ability to kind of shut him down, and he's left-handed as well. And so they know, you know, I mean, kind of the the, the awkwardness um, in, in the tempo in which how to play and guard a left-handed player. Uh, but I think that's the matchup to keep keep an eye on. We know that Marco Anthony's not as depth three-point shooter. I mean, he's going to kind of shoot that hit shot from his hip and, and let it fly. If he gets hot, he's able to make some. But Bryce Hamilton's going to have to play more of a floor general game, be more of a playmaker, get his teammates involved. Um, and kind of be a decoy to, to kind of pull some, pull some people away from the basket uh, to allow his teammates to step up and knock down some shots. Curtis, how do you defend a guy who has poor shooting form? You know he's not a great three-point shooter. What do you do? Marco Anthony was 4 of 14, but he still hit four in those two games. But his shot is so freaking ugly. It's like, uh, you know, it's frustrating. You, know, you, you want to back off him because you probably want him to take the shot. But then when he starts making it, you're like, God damn, what do I do here? Yeah, you wish and hope that he doesn't make them because, like you said, if he gets hot and starts making them early, it just gets ugly. Um, He's got a little hitch in it. He shoots it from his hip and lets it fly. Uh, But like you mentioned, he was able to knock down a couple shots in that second game. Um, And and that's the difference because if he gets that going, then you've got to close out on him and respect it. But then he's just so strong and he's more of a driver. He wants to get to the rack and get to the rim and finish. Then you're putting him in his wheelhouse, and that's where he shot fakes. He gets he gets you on his hip or gets you on his shoulder, and he's getting by you. And if he can finish, he can. If not, then he's going to spray to those shooters, and that's when you get Justin Bean, you get Brock Miller, you get Raleigh Worse, you get guys that can step up and knock down shots. Then that's when Utah State's rolling, and that's not what you want. Again, it starts with Kata on the inside, but then it, it ends with Marco Anthony, what he does defensively. But then again, if you allow him to be a scorer and a playmaker, it's really going to be a long night. Uh, but then you got to mention Raleigh Worcester, someone that you've been high on kind of all year, I, you obviously, know from the point guard position. I, Curtis, I was just going to mention him. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's guys like this and it's guys like Marvin Coleman that this conference is built on. Dudes who are yeah. under-recruited are not yeah. NBA prospects, right, um, but are in your program for four and five years. And when they're old, you're like, man, this guy's been around forever. What a pain in the keister. Wooster is a freshman. And everything mm-hmm. changed when he was not healthy because Ashworth as the backup just is not as good. Wooster's a big guy. He gets the game. He's confident. The Rebels, I think, really didn't – I'm not going to say they didn't know a whole lot about him, but now he's got the respect. I wonder how they cover him and who covers him. Yeah, that's he's kind of like the X Factor, right? You've talked about – you've been on him high all, all season talking about he can kind of – he do a lot of different things, hurt the Rebels in a ways. And like you mentioned, he's kind of likening him to Marvin Coleman in terms of the guys that are under-recruited but that come in, play hard. They're going to be – you know they're going to be here for five, six. They'll be here for ten years if you let them stay. Uh, but he comes out he, – he had a d- damn near triple-double last time against the Rebels in that second game, 19-9-9, which is tough to do. He led the team. He was single-handedly – he's the one who, who stretched that lead and allowed them to get the victory. Uh, but you've got to be able to offset him. And one way to do that is by making shots. And that's going to fall on David Jenkins to be able to step up and make shots. Caleb Grill's going to have to make some shots. Moses Wood's going to have to make shots. But in terms of defensive matchups, it depends on how TJ wants to play it. I don't think you want to put David Jenkins on him necessarily uh, because I don't think David's David's not as good enough on-ball defender to be able to stop a straight-line drive. Uh, and so in that case, do you look to put, to put Caleb Grill on him? Yes, I think Caleb can pester him enough and Caleb's uh, – passionate enough is going to chase him around and do what you ask him to, to try to hold that matchup. But then that means you can't put Caleb Grill on Marco Anthony, who's really kind of their key cog and, and runs the show for them and tries to in half court, create things off the bounce. And I, in my opinion perspective, I would rather have Caleb on him. And like Caleb has kind of guarded Derek Alston. He's guarded Matt Mitchell. He's kind of guarded the top guys in the league so far this season, as opposed to Bryce Hamilton. Because one thing we saw is even though UNLV was able to get the first one against Utah state in that second game, hampered a little bit by the ankle, but at the same time, he was worn down because you got to guard on one end, then you got to come on the other end and try to score and carry the load offensively. And so I think the, the defensive matchup games that the UNLV is going to have to play is going to be huge in this case. But you can't just focus on just worse because then that means you leave um, 
Brock Miller, who can get hot from the outside. Justin Bean, like we've talked about. Even Alfonso Anderson, another Tacoma guy. Shout out to Tacoma, Washington. Alfonso Anderson, only time I'll give Utah State credit. Alfonso Anderson from uh, from Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Mountain West Sixth Man of the Year. But if you allow those other guys to get going just because you're not giving them enough attention and, sh- and disrespecting them, then that's when, again, Utah State can get everybody on board, and that's when they're going to be in trouble because they're not the team in the past where you could just focus on Sam Merrill and Kata. Now they're more of a kind of by-committee team, which makes them more dangerous. But again, it starts inside with Kata. Then you got to go to Marco Anthony and then kind of the role players. But at any given moment, anybody can get hot. That's why tonight, more importantly, the Rebels have to come and play a full 40 minutes of defense and attacking offense, which they haven't done many times on the course of the season. We're live on this Thursday afternoon at Silver 7s. Last thing for Curtis Terry, who's uh, coming up on Running Rebel Warm-Up at 5.30. Tip is at 6 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Curtis, what's it like in the locker room during the conference tournament, especially if you're in a situation like this where it's do or die? You know that you have to make a run to the final to get an NCAA tournament bid. You're kind of making up for a season that maybe wasn't as great as you thought it was going to be. What's the mood before a game like this? Well, me for my groups, I mean, my first two years, we were at the Pepsi Center my first two years for the conference tournament, my freshman year and my sophomore year. So it was a little different atmosphere. Uh, but nonetheless, we weren't in a position where we thought we were going to get a tournament bid. We were trying to scrap and trying to steal something kind of like this team is. Um, and and for us, we kind of we played a lot freer, you know, a little bit looser because uh, there's nothing to lose. You got to go out there and play. Um, you can you can kind of cancel out all, all the noise, all the outside noise. But you've got to be able to step up and try to be spoiler from this standpoint because that's what they are. Because, I mean, odds are Utah State's going to probably sneak into the tournament if they get to the final. They don't have to win it necessarily. But if they can get to the final, they'll probably sneak in. But you want to be the spoiler because you've beaten this Utah State team on this court earlier this season. And if you can beat this one, I mean, I'd be damn sure that UNLV's got a pretty good chance to sneak into that final. And when you get to that final, anything can happen. Uh, but I've also been on the flip side of that. When I was with uh, UNLV, those 06, 07, 07, 08, the year we won it back to back. Uh, we ended up having to play TCU in my senior year. Um, and that was a TCU team that came in. I think they were like the 10 seed, the 11 seed. And they came in and shot lights out one game. Um, and they put us on the ropes in that first game. We had to go to overtime. Wink Adams had to hit a big shot to be able to get us to that next round. And we were like, whoo, they let us off the hook. So we've got to come out and show that we're supposed to be here. But it's always easier getting the first one under your belt. And so I think that's why for UNLV to come off that bad game at Wyoming, to come out to be fortunate enough to play in that first first, first round game to get a win because Utah State hasn't done that yet. They haven't got their feet wet yet to Thomas and Mack in this conference tournament, even though they've won it two times in a row. They haven't got their feet wet here. So if you can get off to a good start, catch them off guard, then you can kind of control the game a little bit. And I think that's how UNLV has to play. Uh, but from this standpoint, these young men here in, in these Runner Rebels jerseys have nothing to lose. They got to play loose and free, have fun, uh, because at the end of the day, I would rather win and stay within the COVID protocols and testing and see if you can get a free trip to Indy and go have some fun and play on the big stage, because if not, you're going to be sitting at home in your dorms or go back home and the country is still closed for the most part. So it's not going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then you're going to have to be suffering through the, this COVID situation like the rest of us uh, Joes um, that, that aren't able to have this escape of playing college basketball. Curtis, looking forward to the broadcast. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, Steve. We'll see you later. There he is, Curtis Terry. As we're really looking forward to this uh, big matchup, the Rebels against Utah State. And we're less than an hour away from running Rebel warm-up right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, some football news to get to. Adam Hill as we are uh, live down here at Silver 7s getting ready for UNLV against Utah State. 5.30 is running Rebel warm-up. Ooh, we talked about the Raiders having to rebuild the offensive line. Right guard gone, right tackle gone, incognito right now in limbo. The unbeatable Chiefs. We saw what their tackles did in the Super Bowl. It wasn't good. That's because the starters were out. Well, the starters are gone. They cut yeah. both of them. Now, it's a bit complicated here because Eric Fisher, unfortunately, shredded his Achilles right at the end of the season. So, But both he and uh, Mitch Schwartz, Dunzo. Yeah, and they're going to be certainly looking to rebuild in that area. And, and these are, as you pointed out, it's an, one is an injury issue, but they're both really cap issues. 
uh, trying to figure out how they can uh, save some money. Again, this is what happens when you sign a quarterback to a big deal. Like this, this is what happens. And we we talked about how how team friendly potentially that Mahomes fifty million dollar deal could be, but it still is a lot of money. And there's a lot of money committed to a lot of different positions. Like this is why we say oftentimes, you know, with, with Jared Goff with the Rams when he signed the deal. Well, that's it. They're done. Oh, because he stinks? Well, not necessarily. It's more because it becomes very, very hard to manage the team and the roster when you sign a contract. Now, in their case, I think it was the right deal to sign Mahomes because you can figure it out when you have Pat Mahomes. But other teams that are that are coming up, there's a ton of teams right now that actually are in pretty good quarterback positions that are like, hey, we're going to sign this guy to a deal. This is what happens. So be ready for it as a fan. So a couple of details on getting rid of their tackles, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Fisher will be out for the year. My guess is the Chiefs will try to re-sign him to some sort of cheap deal for the future. Just a guess. Yeah. And I think we'll see what happens. I think Mitchell Schwartz is going to retire anyway. Okay. So that would be my guess. But still. They needed to fix the position because it was terrible in the Super Bowl. So you got another team and a high-powered team that needs to make its offense work by getting two starting offensive tackles. Raiders. Visitors coming to town, right? What do we have confirmed so far? We know A.J. Bouye was in on Monday, right? Right. He's around. He's gone. Okay. So that's it? They're out? No. I mean, it's... Still, I mean, the process hasn't even started yet. So, uh, you know, it's there's some that are kind of loopholes that are available, and you can you can go ahead and sign them. But uh, yeah, this is a process that is just starting. We're going to find out a lot of different guys that are coming in, coming out. Uh, Vegas is going to be an interesting one because you know if you're if you're on free agent watch and you're Green Bay, any player that is seen in town is obviously there on a free agent visit. Not really the case with the Raiders. You're going to see players seen in town. Oh, I saw 75 NFL players in town this week. Russell yeah. Wilson was here to visit visiting. last week. <laughs> He's coming. Yeah. Trade. He's here watching the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, his sister was in the Pac-12 yeah. tournament. Um, so, you know, this it's going to be complicated with, with Vegas uh, with a lot of these free agent guys. But, yeah, A.J. Bouye, Bouye was visiting with the team. He has left without a deal. doesn't mean he's out. But as of right now, uh, it doesn't seem like anything is, uh, is a foregone conclusion in terms of coming to the Raiders. And you know, that's a guy who – has been, you know, one of the elite players in the league at his position and has also had a couple of down years recently. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely one to keep an eye on for the Raiders. We got uh, updates on some of the tournament games going on right now. My God, poor Lon Kruger and the Sooners. Did you see that one? Uh, 35-15 yeah. at the half. Kansas is up on Kruger's Oklahoma team. Oh. Not a good start for the Sooners. No. And Mountain West Conference – we got the 4-5 game going on right now. Reno up most of the game. Got a big, real big early. Well, now it's down to five. So six minutes left in the game. Chance to advance to play San Diego State. Barely San Diego State makes the next round. They had a ward off Wyoming in the final minutes. They only won 69-66. But, yeah, right now it's 68-63, six minutes left. Reno is on top of Boise State over at the Thomas and Mac. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. It's time for Greenies Wine of the Week, presented by Weed Sellers. Hit WeedSellers.com. Yep, Weed Sellers dealing in wine. Wine of the Week. Yeah, WeedSellers.com, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. No CBD, cannabis, and any other stuff. It's uh, WeedSellers.com, C-E-L-L-A-R-S, WeedSellers.com. All right. We love Greeny, 10 a.m. show, but Greeny does like to complain. Pot calling the kettle black on Cofield and Company. Um, His wine of this week had to do with a study 
Uh, let's see where he's going with this one because he was dismayed by the results. On an average day, take a guess. What percentage of Americans age one years old or older? So basically all Americans, all people in America, on an average day, what percentage of them do you believe eat salad? Wow. This is a tough one because I know on this show, um, I think Adam eats a salad or has eaten a salad with every meal I've ever been with him. Uh, like in public, you always get a salad. In in opposition, and I'm not doing it on purpose, I don't think I ever order salad. One, I'm cheap. That's the primary reason. I only get salad if it comes with a meal. So I'm at, I mean, a year? And it's just, are we talking just dinner? I thought like he said you, percentage that eat salad on a daily basis. So just one salad. You got to have one salad a day. No, I think it's... Play it again. Each day. Play it again. On an average day, take a guess. What percentage okay, of so Americans... Have one salad. Okay, that's good. Thank you, Ari. One salad. On a, I would say for me, and then we'll guess the national number, or we'll let Greeny give us the answer. Um, well, how many do you have? What do you, what do you think you have... Do you have like 365? You have 300 salads a year. You have 260, it's, it's 100. got to be in 300s. But 300? Yeah, yeah, but I would say. So you're, like, this, you're over 80% is, of the time. I think we're missing. What, what it is is today, it's Thursday right. in America. Right. What percentage of people are going to eat a salad today? It's, right. not, it's not what percentage of days do you personally do it. Well, that's. that's. Okay, well, I'm trying to break it down that way. So, yeah. you, so you're over like 80%. I would say salad. Throughout the year, I'm under, I think I'm under 5%. Okay. You can tell by my build. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty obvious. I'm not a salad eater. Both of you probably could use a salad. I just made that point. Thank you. And I just made the point that Adam does have, well, Adam doesn't eat salads, but he does eat a salad every day. Keep going. Only 20% of Americans... Eat salad on an average day. 20% of Americans. I find that to be a fascinating and stunning statistic. I'm stunned it's so high. Yeah. Do you know how pricey salad is, Greeny? For the common people like ourselves? And in a pandemic when it ain't that easy to go shopping and get fresh produce, you can have it delivered? I can't believe it's 20%. I think people are lying. (laughs) Now I'm whining. Salad does feel like a, uh, it feels like more of a restaurant thing. Now, I've I've taken to making just obnoxious salads at my house pretty much every day, but it feels like more of something you get at a restaurant. If, and so I don't even think twenty percent of people are eating out every day. So that's the that's where it kind of comes into play. It's tough to sit home and make a salad. Hmm. Yeah, I think. Boy, we are incredibly wasteful in uh, Casa de Cofield. We get a lot of salads, and a lot of salads get thrown out. <laughs> like the we're we uh, we're very aggressive on the the power bag of salad, like a gigano bag of salad. And I'm like, eh, there's another one. We barely made a dent in that one. A bag of salad, though. That's he's gonna get, get the lettuce. We got a heads of lettuce and fresh vegetables. What do you think this is? You just got to get a head of lettuce and then throw like a bunch of stuff into the salad. You just get a giant bowl. Oh, you got heads throw of lettuce. A bunch so you, of stuff. You go with the uh, kind of the tavern head of lettuce chop. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. But I don't break the sa- I, br- I don't break the the lettuce down enough. I tend to have giant giant lettuces. I'm happy about. It. I'm glad the uh, Vast Sound Crew pulled this one. Uh, Greenies wine of the week brought to you by Weed Sellers. Go up to weedsellers.com. C E L L. ARS.com because uh, I don't generally get in on the salad conversations. You're a big salad guy. We know Mike Ramallah is a weird salad guy. We know yeah. Bill Frieder, the former Arizona State and Michigan coach, is a bizarro salad guy because he's OCD and he makes some of the greatest salads in the history of salads, as uh, Adam Hill has pointed out by just spying on him over at the Pac-12 tournament. Do we have a particular salad we love? Because Greeny does. Robin Lopez said the following about salads, quote, I will not order a salad. It almost seems like egregiously healthy, arrogantly healthy. I'm ordering a salad. Look at me. Look how healthy I'm being. How dare you, Robin Lopez? How dare you? 
I love salads. Salads are a phenomenal part of a meal. First and foremost, say it with me, the caprese salad, the world's most perfect food. There is no better food than the caprese salad. I don't even think I know what a caprese salad is. And also, the salad is not always necessarily healthy. Like, I've seen some people make some really unhealthy, like, just because you put lettuce in a bowl doesn't mean it's, like, here's lettuce. And now we're going to throw, like, marshmallows and chocolate sauce on it. Like, that's not really a salad. It's not really obnoxiously healthy. Uh, so I would disagree with you, that part of it. You don't know what a caprese salad is. That's very interesting. I don't think I do. I, you're, you'd be very anti-caprese salad. Okay. What do you think? The What do you think? One of the key. Ingredients? I mean, I would assume it's like salami. No. One of Cheese? the key. One of the key ingredients. And every time I've ever heard you order a salad out at a restaurant, oh, tomatoes. Yep, it's oh. the base of the caprese salad. Out. It's uh, tomatoes and the cheese is like a mozzarella. Nice. <laughs> That was close. That was good. No, it was very good. Not your mozzarella. <laughs> yes. Good job. Uh, okay, so I, yes, I have Capre- seen those. Caprese salad is mozzarella, um, tomatoes, and we're going to go with some basil. Well, first of all, I just, I've seen those. I've never, I've never had it. loves them. Tomato. But this is, okay, I think when we're saying salad, we're thinking lettuce, a lettuce base. Like, we're not going, like, chicken salad tuna salad like those uh, pasta salad fruit salad like those things when we when, i think when we're using the generic term of salad that's what we're looking at and by the way the i will just point out that the one of, to me one of the most tragic losses of the pandemic is we're never getting salad bars back which really sucks it's unreal i don't know how i can deal with it again i'm not a super like big salad guy but that affords me the opportunity when they've got a nice salad bar to grab it and really make a good salad. Oh. And you can make your own, put your own ingredients. It's obviously, you're going to like it because you're doing it yourself. It's incredible. Is that the number one push to get everyone with the vaccine to maybe save one final chance of getting the salad bar back? Maybe, but, like, you know, my spot is gone forever. It's never coming back. You lost, you know, it's been a horrendous three years for you. You lost both of your spots. I know. What, Sweet Tomatoes? Nice. And uh, was that what it, the, the chain is Sweet Tomatoes and what? Stew Plantation? Yeah. Can't use that name anymore. Uh, anyway, and you had Super Salad and you used to hang out with... Uh, that's That's been gone forever. I, it, has it been longer than three years? Oh, yeah. I was right up the road from here. We're at a Silver 7's at I've, Flamingo and Paradise. It was basically right around the corner at Flamingo in Maryland. And you and Joe Jackson used to... Well, how many times did you hang out with Michael Jackson's dad? Like six, seven. Yeah, he'd be there all the time but getting, I'm a, getting the salad. I'm going to guess, Steve, it's uh, ten years. Is it really? It might even be longer. God, we're getting old. You are. I love this correction every time. Somebody actually, I'm trying to remember. Oh, you know, I, I do know who it was. Uh, our, our friend Chris over, over at Naked City this week was making a reference to, he was like, he's like, well, based on Cofield's aging of you, are, are you like 53 now? <laughs> I'm glad people are picking this up. Another three years, we're even. Yeah. You will catch up. Yeah. I mean, you're not, I mean, you're not aging. Well. Very well. I don't know. I mean... Are they going to let you back on TV with your RJ show next year? I heard some bad reviews. Uh, you heard great reviews. Eh, Got to tighten up. Got to tighten up the face a little bit. Get that thing for the bags under the eyes. No. I'm telling you. I'm looking young. Mm. I don't know about a baby face anymore. I mean, according to the picture in your paper, you guys changed that, right? It's been changed for like five years. You are <laughs> so far behind on everything. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to let facts get in the way of a it's freaking... Why good, would you? Good mock. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that is that is that is the newspaper standard is uh, most of you guys wait like 10 years. Like way too late to update your pictures. Your your picture in the paper was you at 22 up until you were like 37. It was my hiring photo. It was. Yeah, but but also <laughs> like at the same time, like why why on earth would they change it? It's very important. It's not important at all. Well, you know. Much of this fake news stuff came up because of you guys and your pictures. <laughs> Not like zero. You were, the, you were the start of it. That was zero. Pro- that was the problem. Like zero. Was. That was a big problem. Uh, this spot today, uh, wine of the week. We'll do that every week. We'll pull some greeny sound. You want to listen to uh, Mike Greenberg, his 10 a.m. show. It's one of our favorite shows on ESPN National, 10 a.m., Monday to Friday, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Wine of the week is brought to you by WeedSellers.com, C E L L A R S. 
Weedsellers.com. Weedsellers.com. They've got uh, upwards of uh, eight different selections on the wine. You've got bourbon. You've heard uh, Mark McMillan talking about uh, drinking the bourbon, but for him, more importantly, cooking with the bourbon and his bourbon barbecue sauce. You've got beer selection up there. Uh, when you're around town, you're looking for weed sellers, ask at your liquor store or grocery store, or, you know, or go directly to weedsellers.com, and you can place your order right now. Visit Cofield's Corner on lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Now, back to Cofield and Company. This Big 12 quarterfinal, up 12, up 12, up 12, up 12. Kansas 48-36 on Lon Kruger's Oklahoma team. That was a 35-15 game at the half. Oklahoma just hits a three. It's now down to nine. Mountain West Conference Tournament, 88 Check that, 87-79. Wow, Reno is going to advance, it looks like, unless they blow it here in the final minute. 56 seconds left. Not a whole lot of defense played in this one. It's now a seven-point game as Boise is trying to fight back, but not enough time to do it. Probably, probably. I think, we'll uh, see. Cambridge and Sherfield might both have 30 today. By wow, the three-point. Oh, there's a turnover. All right, we'll get you updated on the games as they go along. Uh, Big Ten action. Uh, oh, look at this. Rutgers up uh, 37-34 on Indiana in a 7-10 game, 16-10 in that one. All right. Freaking frenzied right now. All right. Tony Miller's with us down at the Golden Nugget. What's up, Tony? What's up, buddy? I don't know. Crazy I'm, down here, I'm, man. I'm, I'm freaking I'm losing it, man. There's too much going on. My my head's spinning. Is that yeah. the exorcist where the, the, uh, the girl's head spun? <laughs> yeah. I think so. That's me. Linda Blair. Yes, Linda Blair. I'm going full Linda Blair right now. Full <laughs> Linda Blair. All right. What's happening down there? Um, you know, we, we get the updates kind of. On you know the vibe downtown, the vibe in town with the sports books because it was slow as you know what for a long time. But how is it today? You feeling it, or does it really pick up on the weekend? Let me tell you, buddy. I came in. Uh, I'm working the late shift today. I came in around one o'clock, and uh, you know I thought it'd be okay today, but it's packed, man. It's it's, it's this is any vibe, this is any indication for March Madness. It's off to a great start for a Thursday because we're buzzing down here. I want to ask about in the past. Have the tournaments that are in Las Vegas drawn more attention? at the betting window than the ones that are not in Las Vegas? And does that change since there's no fans allowed at the game? You know what, Adam, they have. The Pac-12 really represents here, and we do get a lot of uh, you know people from them schools coming in. I can tell they're wearing their jerseys and whatnot, and uh, you know it, it looks good so far. You know, There's a lot of uh, people here watching the Pac-12 tournament, so uh, good stuff. Uh, and uh, also, you know, we've got more and more tournaments coming to town, so uh, how does that look for the future for you guys now that there's, I think, what, five conferences are doing their tournaments here uh, instead of four, as it has been in the, in the past, uh, the more people that come in, it has to be the better at the windows, right? Oh, for sure, man. Uh, it does bring a lot of people. And, uh, you know, once this pandemic's over, we get back to normal next year. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. But, yeah, the more tournaments, the better. And uh, the crowds are great. How are the, uh, the, future, the futures looking uh, for you guys in terms of uh, are a lot of people invested in the, uh, the outcome of the college basketball tournament? Uh, we didn't get to see it last year. Uh, so are people maybe uh, betting on some teams to win it all? You know what? It, it's not as good as it's been in the past of futures, you know, because we were down for a long time during the summer. But it has picked up in the last few months, and it'll really pick up this week and next week as they start flooding into town for all the parties and the March Madness and whatnot. But we expect most of our handle to come in in that real soon coming up. Tony Miller, Golden Nugget, with us as we get the uh, update on what's going on downtown and around town in terms of uh, sportsbook action. Did you, did you have a team – that got uh, pounded at any point in the season where you're like, man, they better not win the national championship. Yeah, there was a few, though. Texas was one of them early. They bet Texas early with me. If they, they should win the thing, you know, I might be in a little bit of heat. But, uh, you know, it, it, Texas is one of them. They didn't play the Gonzaga. They didn't play Baylor, so those look good for me. But other than that, besides Texas, I got some, some good hits on Illinois. I got some good hits on some outside teams like uh, uh, the Ionas and the you know, Sienas and things like that. Some outside teams should win it. But, uh, no, the big ones are Texas and Illinois for me if those two should hit. Tony, what's going on for the tournament down at the Nugget? Oh, man, it's going to be good, Steve. We know we've got a nice party going on next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday only. And uh, we got packages we're selling online at golden, excuse me, goldennugget.com. And it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be like in the past. We're going to have bars in there and table games and all sorts of things. So it's going to be fun. Let's talk some NFL. You're a Cowboys fan, and I, you know, I want your take on the DAC deal, the size of the deal. You feel okay about it? 
I do, you know, I, it's a lot of money, you know, but now the pressure's on, man. He's got he's to put up or shut up, and uh, it's time to win. Uh, this is it. You know, Jerry's 78 years old now, and time's running out, and, and this is his man. He's invested in him, so Dak needs to get out there and uh, do something bring, something, bring something to town. Are you worried about the Jones boys being able to scout well enough and budget well enough to actually put a decent defense on the field with all that money? at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver? Well, that's just it. With their top pick this year, they have to go defense, and I'm hoping they're going to cornerback or safety. they got to do something to sure up that defense because as good as their offense is, it is no good if they score 40 but give up 41 or more every game. NFC East, I've seen the number up. I don't think you guys have uh, division numbers posted, right? No, we don't, not yet. So I've seen in faraway places, Cowboys minus 105. Would you (laughs) – should the Cowboys be the favorite uh, at that number? Well, if you look at the four, you know, the teams in that Eastern Division right now, who's the best quarterback in the division? I mean, certainly it's not the Skins or the Giants or the or the Eagles right now. So Dak is there, and he's got a good offense. So yeah, I would lay the one hundred and five. I think it's a good price, and uh, I think the Cowboys win the division going away next year. Adam, ooh, going away. Yep. Adam, you're on football team, right? Depending on who the quarterback is. Yeah, we don't know who it is yet. But it could be Mariota. Okay, if it's Mariota. Football yeah. team, no, yeah, yeah Mar- definitely at one hundred five. Mariota's not, <laughs> but Mariota's not Prescott. But the rest of the team yeah. is probably better than the Cowboys are. So I mean, it, it becomes tough. I, I know uh, we base a lot on the quarterbacks, and we should. And when you're, hey, when you're the Cowboys and you're going to pay forty million for your quarterback, it has to be about the quarterback because you're essentially handcuffing the franchise by doing that. So you know, you you better step up and play to that level. But there should. I mean, how healthy is he going to be? How well, how well can he move? How well can he get back to the level that he was at? Those are a lot of questions to ask going into the season. Yeah, spot on, Adam. But, you know, if he comes back the way he was and they got a good running back and the receivers are good, tight ends coming, the offensive line is good, I think they got a great offense. It's a defense I'm worried about, and they got to shore that up. Tony Miller, Golden Nugget, is with us. All right, a little NBA. Uh, Nets have been on fire. They're 10-1 uh, and one last 11 against the spread. When... Can I start fading them? Like, when do you guys feel comfortable in terms of getting the numbers in line on the Brooklyn Nets? Buddy, the public's all over them. They're betting the Nets in every parley, every teaser, straight bets. And this is without Durant. So you can imagine when he gets back, and now they've added Blake Griffin. This team is good, man. And, uh, you know, their odds are slowly coming down. And, you know, they're going to be the, for sure, they're going to be the favorite going into the finals. I know you told me uh, two weeks ago, and this was a conversation off the air, you were like, my Lord, the overs in the NBA. Have you, you know, I know we just had the all-star break, but have you guys kind of gotten that under control, or is it still just hellacious every night with the overs? Because we know that, uh, you know, and I'm not going to call them squares, but we know that, you know, a lot of average people out there, they, they want to bet overs, and the NBA has been a freaking bonanza for them. Oh, for sure, you know, and, and, and this year especially. I mean, we, we got some teams where we fade the over a little bit more on our opening lines, and yeah. uh, we're at a half a point or a point to them, knowing the public's going to bet the over no matter what we put out there. And uh, we're get hit on the phones by some sharp money and bring it back down. But, yeah, they are betting the overs like crazy, Steve. Last one for Tony Miller. Uh, we always like to get the update on the, uh, the TV habits, Tony. Did you start anything new this week? Because I'll tell you in a second, I started something new, and I cannot believe I waited this long. You got anything new on the docket? I do not, man. I'm still stuck on the old stuff, man. I'm on season four or 24 again. I'm still on to that thing. Well, I didn't say I, I, I picked up something new, new. I'm going back and binging. I cannot believe I never watched Top Chef. <laughs> Were you ever a Top Chef guy? I've never seen that show. I've heard about it. Heard Dude, it's good. you got to watch it, man. The freaking intensity is out of control. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying it's like your F1 reality show because I know you love that one, but, you know, it's close. Okay, I'll give it a shot. And uh, no, I was going to say the same danger level, but not quite. There, there are knives in the kitchen, but it, you said that F one show is incredible, right? In terms of you know how on the edge that whole thing is. Oh, it's insane! Very insane, man. Got to watch that. I will. I keep saying I will for like a year and a half. I guess. Yeah, I'm waiting for you to watch it. I know. All right, we'll see you soon, Tony. Thank you. Take care, guys. There he is, Tony Miller, the boss down at the Golden Nugget Mountain West Conference game is in eighty nine eighty two final. As uh, Reno pulls hate, the betting. pulls the upset on Boise, I'm going to get the update on what you bet in that game because I mentioned that I had Boise in the game at a number, and you kind of looked at me like something was going on. Uh, we'll get you other scores on the way back. We are about 38 minutes. Check that 32 minutes from running Rebel warm up, and then we got a six o'clock tip as we got two more games in the Mountain West Conference tournament right over at the Thomas and Mac. 
With 77 cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on, Silver 7's, you heard it. Here on this Thursday, we're getting ready for uh, the second half of the quarterfinals over at the Thomas and Mac as UNLV will be in action. Run Rebels trying to pull off the upset against the second-seeded Utah State Aggies. Uh, there was an upset that just came in, Adam. Boise goes down. Bubble-sitting Boise, uh, who probably needed a win, uh, just fell apart down the stretch. I think that was their fourth straight loss. Uh, but they came in favored, needed a win, probably win probably would have got them in the tournament at least uh, firmly in the conversation but uh, did not happen for them they were behind the whole game Reno was making threes all over the place also I was trying to find the uh, the final stats here because uh, Boise really really struggled uh, from the free throw line it seemed like I could be wrong on that uh, but it seemed like they were really struggling from the free throw line and so uh, that could have been their undoing Uh, Leon Rice with a reputation for losing in the quarterfinal rounds. Uh, that is going to continue and uh, probably get some heat out of this because this is just another chance for them to have closed out the season well, maybe solidified themselves a, ro- a spot in the NCAA tournament, and uh, they couldn't do it. Just completely fell apart down the stretch of the season. And now, do they get to use the uh, the extra week of scheduled games, the rescheduled games as an excuse? Because they're already leaning on that. I, I You know, I'll tell you. And listen, it's not like it's a guarantee that it carried over into this game. They got off to a crap start against Reno in this one. And when I saw a lot of that stuff about the uh, Boise game last week that they had lost, that was against Fresno, right? Am I right on that one? Uh, Fresno, yeah. right? Fresno yeah. came in and pulled off the upset. Like, it felt like there was too much bitching and whining. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, just move on. All right? You didn't win the game. But here's the thing, folks. Um, in bracketology, Boise State was last four in. I think they're out. They're, they have, yeah. they're, they're out. And now... Now you got to keep an eye on Reno. How about this? For Rebel fans, Alford in year two, if he makes a run here, and he can. Those guards are ridiculous. If they go crazy and hit, you know, 12 threes combined, you know, 12 or 20 from three, and they've done it in games, and they had one of those games today, they can make the run. Reno makes the NCAA tournament with Musk on, Alford in year two. Oh, boy. Cambridge and Sherfield today combined from three. Seven of 11. Oh, man. Uh, Cambridge had 31 points. Sherfield had 26. Holy cow. 57 points for your guards. Yep. And they were combined, uh, let's see, quick math, 19 of 33 from the field. Uh, just a, a solid all-around effort. Sherfield did have five turnovers today, but I think you'll take that with everything else that he was able to do. Uh, they were really, really good, and I was trying to, what was number, oh, I was trying to find. Boise State was 23 of 30 uh, from the free throw line, so 77%. Not, not terrible. Uh, actually pretty good, but it seemed like they were pretty opportune spots that they were missing free throws in down the stretch. Do you agree with me that they they are the kind of team who could make a run from here? They've got two more. I mean, they've got to, they obviously they've got to win the next game to potentially get. Well, no, they play San Diego State next. Yep. I was just going to say to play San Diego State, but that was a 4-5 game, so San Diego State's up next. And San Diego State, folks, if you didn't see it, I mean, right down to the wire against Wyoming. They were a 14-and-a-half, 15-point favorite, and Wyoming had multiple shots at the end to take the lead or tie the game in the final minute. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good matchup, and I think uh, what, what you have and what I think it will be interesting for people to watch that uh, maybe don't have a rooting interest necessarily in the game, uh, you know, V fans will probably look at it and say we hate both teams. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what you want to watch if you're you know an interested basketball observer is San Diego State defensively against that backcourt of Reno. How does that, how does that matchup go? And uh, I would imagine that's what dictates uh, how the game plays out and what the outcome of the game is. But, and by the way, we talked about this earlier. Kansas was blowing Oklahoma off the floor. Crazy. Uh, it is now a six-point game uh, in the second half, so something to monitor there as well. well right across the way is the uh, William Hill Sportsbook. If you want to get out on the games that are starting up here in town, uh, go up to the app. Wait, you don't have the app? All right. You, you got to get out to a William Hill book ASAP and get the mobile app. If not, go to one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of William Hill locations around town, including the one here at Silver 7's. And get your bets down. Pac-12 game starts at 5.30. USC is, well, that might be delayed a little bit. Do you have the update in front of you on UCLA and Oregon State? Cause overtime, they went, isn't it? Yeah, they're in overtime. We'll get that score in a second. But you can bet USC and Utah, probably a little you know, a little extra time, probably a 5.40 start. Seven and a half 
The Trojans are favored in that one at William Hill. And uh, the UNLV game coming up at 6 o'clock. Uh, you got UNLV getting 10 in that one, plus 365 on the money line. The total is 136 and a half. All right, Big Five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. I just mentioned to our buddy Tony about the uh, the next binge show. By the way, you are out on TV right now, aren't you? What's TV? I know you have <laughs> you like you allow yourself no free time. Uh, no, I, I'm. I mean, I, I do. The one thing I do TV-wise, which is ridiculous, but I talk about I've, I've pretty much watched an episode of The Office every day for like the last 10 years, which is crazy. Uh, I listen to some like rewatching podcasts uh, you know, of stars of both The Office and Saved by the Bell. That's probably your best bet now while you're driving around town going to events to cover is yeah. just to try to check out some podcasts. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, listen, like, I listen to like former stars of the show break down the show, and then I watch the episode – because they reveal a lot of things about the episode, and you want to see those again. So I watch those. But there are two cooking shows that I do have in my rotation what are for they? the first time ever. What? Uh, well, Fast Foodies was one. Yep. I'm intrigued by that. I've been, I watched all those. Um, and then... That's current, though. New episodes on the way. Uh, I'm all about Selena, Selena and Chef also. It's great. What is that? It's Selena Gomez. She did a show during uh, quarantine when nobody could like do anything. She would have chefs... Uh, teach her how to cook over Zoom from her house. It's great. I love it. She's she's awful, by the way. Oftentimes, she forgets to turn the stove on. Uh, she doesn't understand. They'll be like, hey, get this kind of pot. And I'll be like, what what is that? And she'll just stop, and she's like, I was pretending, looking for stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what is that? I don't wow. know what that is. You might you might uh, pull me off my, my food show, which unbelievably is now Top Chef. I know it's like 17 years in, but I've okay. never watched it. You know what? I always got... Top Chef confused with I think it's Iron Chef, um, and I I think it's Iron Chef the one where like they're all in a kitchen and it's like it's really like high level chefs. Can, can, like, I don't know it, it like it just looks stupid to me. Top Chef though is is freaking intriguing man. It's and it's Colicchio so he's he's a uh, I'm not saying he's Simon Cowell, but he's damn good. I love that they are like 16 or 17 seasons and I'm like introduced to this now. It started in 2006. Right. Whoa. 2006. But here, here's the problem. I'm watching. These chefs are unbelievable with their, their their dishes. And I swear, last weekend, Adam, it was like Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I ordered takeout, and every one of them I was like, that wasn't that good. And I'm trying to think, like, was it substandard? Because I, I, I really have no standards. I will eat anything. I'm an animal. right? And I, really, I, don't go, I know it's takeout, so it's not going to be like, you know, it's not going to be like it is in the restaurant. But, but it was three getting, times in a row. Now I, you're getting judgy because of the show? Adam, I I watched one whole season. The SO and I finished that one, right? And something happened towards the end of that season. So I start watching season one. And I see a guy at the beginning of the new season. He's cooking some chicken, and he pulls out a chicken breast. And I'm like, a, a plain chicken breast with no skin? What are you, nuts? You can't cook that? Why can't you cook that? It sounds because, great. Because for a chef, that is just blasphemous. Where's the skin? Where's the flavor? I don't like the skin. And then you don't know how to eat. I think I do. And I think it's a healthier way to eat. But eat but, but anyway, they, they made a gigantic deal in one of the seasons about someone kind of being lazy that they just, you know, diced up a chicken breast. And they're like, there's no skin, really? It's not a thigh? Come on now. Uh, and then they're like, they're like, you know, if you couldn't find anything beyond just a plain chicken breast, then get the whole chicken and cut it up yourself. But so now I'm like, these, these are my standards now. I'm putting on these poor takeout food people. I'm like, come on now, top chef quality. By the way, are the chefs on fast foodies like really high level chefs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like they come from the, like top chef type shows. Yeah, you can't name any of them, can you? Um, Who's the? What's the uh, the chick's name? Is it uh, Chris, Kristen or Christine? Christine Kisk Fisk. Sounds List, right. Something like that, yeah. yeah they look, I don't know. Their, their stuff is really good. Anyway, fast foodies basically is a celebrity comes in, they ask you to replicate whatever really popular fast food sandwich, Egg McMuffin. I think they did in and out Burger yeah. in episode three or four. That, that was kind of cool to watch. So like it's a, a good show. They did like a Chalupa? I haven't seen the Chalupa one yet, I don't think. Good? Yeah. 
Uh, they did like a, a. They did Domino's pizza. They did Domino's. They did and like I, I, a, as soon as they were making it, as soon as two of them started making it, I'm like, "What are you doing? Like you're trying to replicate the the takeout pizza. You're making it way too fancy." That's, what, that's who was my who was on the show on that one? Do you remember who the celebrity was? Uh, no. I don't. That wasn't Vanderbeek, was it? No, I thought he was. Uh, By the way, I didn't even get his name right. James Vanderbeek. Yeah, I yeah. worked. I worked for a guy years ago, like 28 years ago, in newspapers. Named Vanderbeek. I'm like, okay. okay. Uh, I think he was. Wasn't he in and out? Yeah, he might have been the in and out burger. But whatever. Whoever whoever got the 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 pizza was like they they looked at it. They're like, yeah. I mean, it's what's with like Asiago and provolone cheese on it? What are you doing? Right. <laughs> like, this it was a fancy. pineapple ham pizza, and they just they dressed it up too much. Yeah, that, that's the problem that they have sometimes. They try to go too high level with it. Uh, but then they have to make their own creation with the same ingredients, which is also very fascinating. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And that's what, like, I watch that show and I see the plating and I'm like, what's going on here with the takeout locally? <laughs> that, by the way, I, you know, I am like, I, I pay $29 for, for two dishes. I expect the world. Number four. Pandemic is uh, hopefully coming to a close. I'm still eating a lot of cookies. The healthy eating hasn't begun yet. <laughs> Oreos. I might be in on this one, especially if I can get the collectible Brooklyn Nets Oreos. I don't think the Nets are on the, were on the list, were they? What? <laughs> there was only a list of select franchises. Are you serious? They're going to have their logo placed on Oreos. Uh, the Miami Heat get an Oreo cookie? The Heat got one. Uh, this is this is anti-James Harden again. The Nets might be on there. I could be wrong. I, I, think, I think you're... Uh, the list here, but yeah, there's only certain well, I mean, teams that was, are included. It was reported by Channel 10, the uh, ABC affiliate in Miami, so I don't think they're going to be giving a big shout-out to my Nets. Right. No, but they listed the teams. I remember the article. I just don't remember. Oh, look at this. I see, on there. I see Bulls with the Bulls logo, Lakers, Heat, Celtics. There's a Shamrock. Looks like Golden State and the Spurs. Are you serious? There's oh, only my six dubs? teams? My dubs made it? Select like team it. logos. No Nets. <laughs> I'm out. What are they called? Dynasty Oreo? Dynasty Oreo uh, with, with well, I mean, select team logos. Well, I mean, it's, it, they're doing dynasties in the NBA, so they're not going to have the Nets. Although I, <laughs> I think it's going to be a dynasty. Now, I, Your prediction, what, five of seven titles now in the next seven years for the Nets with this combo? Come on. Uh, what, I mean, if you've got to eliminate the Warriors, from you know my Warriors from the discussion, then I guess. Um, the problem with this is that it's just an Oreo. Right, like all it is is like they imprint the logo into the the one of the sides of the the cookie. It still looks cool. What is it? But there's no difference from a regular Oreo. You're not gonna know. And th- hey, look, it's a logo. Cool, and then eat it. Like, you, just look at a picture. You expect like gold frosted filling, the Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah, give me give me some sort of like a distinct <laughs> flavor for each outside. team, and you oh really? You imprint the logo with that flavor. Okay, like a like a coconut heat. Can we build on this on one of our podcasts? Sure. Because we have to get to the UNLV game. And I know with this show, we start doing a flavor for every team. We're cooked, right? Ari's panicking. He's yes. panicking back in our Finley Toyota studios. Sponsor, 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 sponsor. Top three here at Silver Sevens. Number three. Man, I can't wait to see Duke. I can't even joke about it. This is, It sucks. Duke is out. COVID out. What happened? There was, there was a test somewhere within the program. Oh, no. And you know this is what the rules are. Yeah, uh, we're going to see it in the in the NCAA tournament as well. I mean, if you get a uh, if you have a positive test, then they basically just send you out. I mean, the first couple of days before the tournament starts, there's going to be replacement possibilities, but after that, uh, you're going to be sent out. And Duke had a positive test. They were starting to try to get a run going. They needed five wins in five days. They got two of them. They didn't get the chance to play a third. So Florida State gets by. Duke is out. And uh, Duke's run of 24 straight NCAA tournaments is over, and I'm sure everyone is feeling so so bad for them. But you can't lie. <laughs> oh, stop! What about the kids? I couldn't. I, I couldn't do it with the straight face. I know. It's don't, you, you can't do it. It's it's horrendous for the kids. For Coach K, I don't know. They made the he, choice to go play for that guy. He did warn us. He sure. was he was scared of the whole thing. Sure, and rightly so. There were a lot of unknowns at the beginning of the season. Now, a lot of people, including Nate Oates, who's you know kind of classless in that case, well, accused Coach K of trying to bail on the season early. That's what he was doing. Using COVID as a crutch. That's what he was doing. He was fine. If, if he had done that before the season, that's fine. 
But he waited until they took some losses, and he's like, I don't even know if we should be playing now. Yeah, because you're losing. He saw it coming. That's why he wanted out. Number two. Bad news? Well, we don't know all the details yet, right? Any updates in the last two and a half hours on one Mark, Andre, Fleury, and the COVID list? No, I wouldn't expect there to be. I mean, the only reason this news came out is because uh, every day around, you know, between like 1.30 and 3.30, the, the league's transaction wire gets updated uh, for the NHL, and everybody goes and looks at it and refreshes it. And today when it popped up, it had Mark andre Fleury listed on the COVID list for the Golden Knights, uh, one of only four players right now. Uh, around the league who was on the COVID list. Uh, so the league has done a much better job since they inst- instituted the much more stringent protocols, um, you know, about a month and a half ago. And so four players are on it. He's one of them. We don't know yet if it's contact tracing or a protocol violation of some sort or or if he actually did test positive. We'll maybe learn more tomorrow. We don't expect Marc-Andre Fleur to be able to play in that game uh, or the Saturday game in, uh, in St. Louis. But uh, for right now, we just know that he's on the list and that he most likely won't be available for them, whether that's a couple of days because of tracing or a couple of weeks because he actually tested positive. And, you know, even more uh, concerning, if he actually gets sick, uh, those are all things to, uh, to watch going forward. But right now we just know that he's on the list. Number one. So last night for the Golden Knights, close, but no cigar. So what happened, especially early in the game? Yeah, the the Knights really were struggling to get offense again. I mean, well, right away, uh, we should point out, like, the first couple of minutes, it was, just, it was just wild. The Wild scored right away, 19 seconds into the game. The Knights answered right back, and I think everybody was looking and saying, okay, uh, this could be one of those, you know, 7-6 type of games, a crazy, um, you know, up and down the ice kind of affair. And then it settled down a little bit, and the Knights, much like they had in the first game in Minnesota, really struggled to get anything going offensively. Uh, eventually, the Wild found the net a couple of times, and uh, before you know it, it was 4-1 to one, uh, with a back-to-back on the horizon for the Knights. As we talked about, they play Friday and Saturday. Uh, Pete DeBoer saw fit to just get Flurry out of there, and uh, hey, go ahead and have a seat. Watch the rest of the game. Let Logan Thompson go in there, close out the rest of this loss, and then it almost became not a loss because the Golden Knights really, really turned on the pressure the last six minutes of the game. They got two goals. They had several chances to get a third, including a golden opportunity for Alex Tuck, who was visibly frustrated after the game uh, with not being able to finish that chance right in front of the net uh, with the goaltender out of position. Basically had an open net to shoot at. There was a little bit of a, a little bit of, you know, a defense that was put up that kind of threw it off a little bit, uh, defended the play. But really, Alex Tuck knows that he probably should have put that in the net, and he showed that frustration. But again, listen, it's a regular season game. I don't think anybody has any questions. They're going to make the playoffs. Would have been a very, very nice win for the Knights, a dramatic, thrilling win. But uh, in the end, it's just one loss, and the Knights are still in great position to go forward to the rest of the year. It's just one of those games you look at and say, man, that would have been a memorable moment if they were able to rally from that. Petrangelo updates. They're going to come slow, right? Yeah, out for the foreseeable future is what the uh, the update was. But it was very interesting that Pete DeBoer said he's out for the foreseeable future. But I don't see it being a long, long-term issue. Did he say it that way? Uh, I think I read it yesterday as he doesn't see it as being long, long-term. Long, lo- I said long, long-term. No, but I, it's important on the second long. I said long, long-term. I, you said it the right way. I, I'm, I'm asking you, okay. did DeBoer say it that way? Because yeah. yesterday, I, it's, this is stupid. Um, so we don't know. Well, it's like every other injury in hockey, right. like especially with the Golden Knights. Yeah, you don't know. You were quoted yesterday by Adam Candy as saying in the past that day-to-day means... Week to week, and week to week means month to month, and month to month is you're done for the year. Okay, yeah, just gotta, just gotta <laughs> read into it that way. I hope it's not. I hope it's not beyond you know, day to day. I should we should we play guessing game? If you had to guess what the injury is, I have no idea. What's the guess? I'm gonna guess broken hand. Really? Yeah. Well, that's not day to day. He didn't say day to day. He said he said out for the foreseeable future. Not long, long term. What's the guess based on? Uh, he blocked a shot with his hand, and he was shaking it, and then he didn't play it again. Okay, is <laughs> that is that is that widespread speculation? Uh, I mean, no, nobody do, nobody just throws things out there. But I will because they don't say anything. Why not? Like, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say it's a broken hand. It's, yeah. it, this is incredibly irresponsible. But what you want? To, everybody just want to sit and wait for months and find out what it was. We need I, an answer. I'm guessing broken hand. 
We need an answer. Total guess. Complete guess. College basketball tonight right here on ESPN Las Vegas. We've got UNLV trying to make a run after a a so-so season that was a a bit underwhelming. They suffered a bad injury with Marvin Coleman going down with uh, issues with both legs. This is the chance to save your season. And one of the things, Adam, that people pointed to all year long as UNLV being dangerous was their one big win in conference against one of those top teams in Utah State. And look who's in front of them. Utah State and seven-footer, Myers Keita. And I think there's a lot to build on from the first two games. Can they stop Keita or contain him for a third straight game? He had 13 points in one game, eight in the other. He was 9 of 25 from the floor. And a lot of that was due to what the Rebels did on defense. Can they do it again? I think a lot of it was due to what they did on offense, too, and kind of going at him a little bit, wearing him down, like not – not just letting him sit in the paint and just block shots. Yep. Make him actually step out and defend and um, and you know, potentially foul. Uh, those are things that they were trying to do. So uh, I think you have to make him work on both ends. I think that's the key to limiting his offense. Defensively, he's obviously a much more um, dangerous presence than he is offensively. But his offense has been really, really good this year at times. And you can't let him get into a rhythm on both ends of the floor and hurt you. Uh, so that's, that's certainly their... Uh, their number one focus, but you know it's not just Kata. Utah State has a good team around him as well, uh, so it's not like you can just devote all your resources to going after him. Boy, one-on-one, Jong against Kata and not having a double, that helps a lot. But I, I love what you said about uh, forcing players to defend, and I think the other guy that they have to force to defend, they're going to have to find a new mix on defending him is Riley Wooster, who's back now for three games, their freshman point guard, who is he's much better. He's so much better than the other point guard. Ashworth, and when both of them are off the floor, they really don't have a point guard. But I, I really believe they have to make Wooster play on both ends of the floor. So I'm, I don't know who Craig Smith is going to put Wooster on. I would assume it wouldn't be David Jenkins. But man, oh man, if if that freshman is covering, and this is a kid who had 19-9-9 in one of the games the first time around. It was, I believe, the second game when they won it. Um, boy, Jenkins from the get-go, if he's got Wooster covering him, he's got to go right at him. Get him off the floor. Get him in some foul trouble. David is pretty good at freaking, uh, you know, pump, lean, draw fouls. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was taking a lot of perimeter shots yesterday. Uh, that was where he was, and he was locked in and, and making them. And so uh, I think it'll be very good for UNLV if he's able to continue knocking down perimeter jumpers as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a couple guys on that team that you have to try to make defend both on the perimeter and going to the rim and, and you know, wear them down, maybe commit foul troubles, a lot of things you can do. Kata Jong. Key matchup. The other one is Marco Anthony and and Bryce Hamilton. Hamilton was not a hundred percent. And not game two, he was a he. I mean, it was it was. I'm not going to say sad. It sucked watching him because you could tell he was at like sixty percent. He had no lift. Marco Anthony is a transfer from Virginia. He's six five. You know, two fifteen, two twenty. A little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than Bryce. Bryce has got to achieve and be efficient against him. He went five of twenty eight in two games. Yeah. Had two points in the second. So, so if he's better against Anthony, can get him in a foul trouble, then the Rebels really have a chance. And Bryce was great yesterday, so you would be looking for him to continue that, roll that over to today on both ends of the floor. Really good defensively, really good offensively, and uh, he should pose a challenge for Utah State. Thanks to Silver Sevens. Get up there and bet on the William Hill app. You can bet all the action around Vegas and around the country when it comes to college basketball tournament action. Running Rebel warm-up is up minutes away from John and Curtis live over at the Thomas & Mack.